Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Tyler Owens, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Hey, thanks. Thanks again for having me. Excited to do this. Well, you and I met uh, over the phone, I guess, right before Christmas, right? Maybe three or four weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, was, yeah. And we should mention that uh, I'm connected to you or you're connected to me or we're connected to each other through Chris Harper, who you knew from VMI. When, when I say the name Chris Harper, what do you think of? I think of, uh, you know, the young kids call it Riz, but a guy with charisma. Um, he, he was, he, he was one of those guys that I could sort of lean on one, one year group ahead of me at VMI also, uh, you know, not just, not just on the, on the football side of things, but back when we would get to the barracks, some of those nights and days that got tough, you always wanted somebody to go talk to and, and share stories with, to keep each other motivated. And Chris was one of my guys, uh, through and through. So he he's seemed a really like- good friend pretty upbeat guy, pretty positive guy. Oh yeah. High energy. He really is. And, and, he, and he's unafraid. To, I mean, some of the stories he was telling me just, they don't make any <laughs> sense. To me. I'm like, what, why were you doing that, Chris? Yeah. Back in, back in college, when I first learned about some of those, you know, rather traumatic experiences that molded him into who he is, it just adds to everybody else's understanding of why he approaches back then approached the game the way that he did. And, approaches life the way that he does because when all that happens before the age of 18 you know it's only one way from there two medevac flights before age 18 then he plays college football uh and and both injuries i should have kept him out of uh any level of football to include college but uh he persevered because he loved it oh that's for sure (laughs) cool all right so tal let's start with uh where were you uh where are you from let me phrase it that way so um you know I guess it depends on what, what phase of my life somebody would ask me that. But now I consider myself from Douglasville, Georgia. I was originally born in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, probably moved to Georgia in, when I was about second grade. So I don't know, maybe I was eight years old, coming up on nine years old. Yeah, moved down to, to Douglasville. Um, I, I had a family, you know, my grandmother lives over in Decatur. On, on the east side of Atlanta. So I grew up all around there and didn't have fa- family in South Carolina. So North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, I, I call them all home, really. So the, the Atlantic coast of the southeast, effectively. Certainly. Yeah, yeah not including Virginia or Florida. Nope, I got my Virginia experience later. You know? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> what, what part of the state is Douglasville in? Douglasville is west of Atlanta, probably about I don't know, 20 miles west of, of Atlanta. All right. So it's, it's kind of Metro Atlanta, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, everybody that lives in Douglasville would definitely consider it to be Metro Atlanta. My first job was um, working at Six Flags over Georgia, which is, you know, considered Metro Atlanta. I think even my, our junior, senior year of high school football, we were playing in, in, a, in that sort of league or conference that was aligned with some of the teams that were in Atlanta Metro. So, yeah. All right. Right on. So you consider yourself a Georgia guy. Yeah. I, I consider myself a Georgia guy for sure. But, 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 you know, North Carolina in my heart, but Georgia is what I represent. 
Well, I, so you went to VMI. We're going to talk about VMI in a little while. Mm. Uh, but mm-hmm. is, who's your favorite like D1 college football team besides VMI? Oh, man, starting it off with hey, – it's going to get – so m- most recently, I, I've been a Bama fan. I don't, I don't know. I guess I just, just – I know I'm from Georgia, but my, my dad's family's from Alabama originally. And when I was in high school, that's when they really started being really dominant, you know, as far as Mark Ingram and Nick Saban, those days that I remember, the battles that used to take place after – USC and Ohio State gave up the throne and Alabama had the run and then the SEC took off for about a decade there. So I, the, the entire time that was taking place, my last two years in high school and then all through college, Alabama was very dominant. And, and yeah, I was I was a big Roll Tide fan, but, but now it's more subtle. All right, yeah, you tend to get a little more subtle as you get, get older, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So speaking of Alabama football, did you see the news today? No. News Saban, to me if you give share some Saban, yeah, Saban stepped down. He's, wow. I, I haven't read the article yet, but I think he, he just retired effectively. I did not see that. I saw that apparently Pete Pete Carroll took some sort of uh, a role with you know the the Seahawks. It's like I an advisory he, role, or maybe he retired and they just Said now he's an advisor. So the, the, these are uh, reports that are, have not been confirmed yet that he's retiring. So may, maybe he's not retiring, okay. but it, it looks like he, he is. You get about 5,000 articles on something like that before he actually announces. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Man, I did not hear that about Nick Saban. I mean, so he's I he's the guess. man. He, I think he's bigger than Bear Bryant, right? When, oh, yeah. When, the statues are on the way. Yeah. They would have to be. He has seven titles, <laughs> six of which are from Alabama. Six of which are from Alabama, yeah. Undeniable. Yeah, undeniable indeed. All right, so when you were a kid growing up, uh, you can go back to your time in Charlotte or or certainly Douglasville. What were you doing with your uh, spare time? When you, you weren't doing uh, what your parents were telling you to do or when you weren't in school, you kind of had your own time, what were you doing? Oh, man, that's an interesting question. So when, when I was uh, growing up in Charlotte, you know, luckily born born in the early '90s, we were all still playing outside back then. So I, I was big on on just going outside, meeting all the neighbors, hanging out, going to the park, riding bikes. We would ride our bikes everywhere. You know, looking back, it's like, man, we really rode our bikes all the way to the other side of our little small community or our town at some at some points. But I didn't really get. I, I played t ball. And, and and when I was in Charlotte because of my age, and then I remember swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember swimming is like the first thing I got introduced to, and but but nothing beyond that. And I really just had a lot of friends in my neighborhood, and we would just be outside playing, you know, not not even organized sports. That didn't really get introduced to me until I was nine years old when I moved to Georgia, maybe ten. Yeah. So my my time growing up. In Charlotte, I was always out messing around with things outside. Uh, you know, I had some kind of interest in nature. I'm always like to sort of get into the the deeper understanding of life and nature. Always was outside playing with my friends, though, man. That's what I remember. Yeah, it's good for you, right, to be outside to 
get exposure to the sun and um, it's got to be a lot healthier than being inside. That's for sure. Got a lot of battle scars, you know, from being outside too. things. You can look down at your body from climbing the tree at my grandmother's house and falling in, and then a branch literally going into my forearm and having to get stitches. You still got that scar. So things like that, you're able to look back and, and your body's almost like a, a timeline, you know, of all those, those fun times. Yeah. When you think back to climbing trees, cause we climbed trees when I was growing up, I'm older than you, but, uh, I think if parents saw their seven, eight, nine-year-old kid up a tree as high mm-hmm. as I imagine you went and I went, they they'd freak out. Yeah. They they call the yeah. rescue <laughs> firefighters or something. I think. That's, oh yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, it, it seems to be not that I want to get on this tirade, but it seems to me that uh, kids are softer these days. Yeah, yeah, um, I I I can agree with that sentiment. Things have changed a lot, you know. Obviously, we did have video games and we played certain we had our Game Boys back then. I remember having a Sega Genesis, but we we did get out. We got out a lot more. Now you can communicate with your friends online, you know, on your cell phone, gaming. There's so many ways and reasons people stay in and and and, and the people that support that in their defense, it's a lot. The world we live in now is a lot. I, it feels a little, you know, more dangerous as far as children just being out riding their bikes five miles away from their house with no cell phone because that's how it was, right? right. We were out, and and our sort of indicator of when to turn around was the sun or the or the street light. Like, hey, we need to. It's getting darker. I need to start making my way back over home towards my house. But now, you got your phones and things, so it. It was it was a lot different. Everybody handled it differently. Kids had I had a lot of freedom. Me and my friends would go out and you know be out until dusk. All yeah, the time. and your parents didn't know where you were, right? They had no idea. Had no clue. And they yeah. were they were they were okay with it, I think. <laughs> and now you, you're worried because you can, I guess. You got the cell phone, so you want to check in even more. That's like what I see with parents. Oh, the, the helicopter parenting and the stalking of kids. My wife's on uh, Life 360 all the time, man. It's probably yeah. one of 100 apps where you can just track people that allow you to track them. Okay, okay. I haven't heard of that one, but I'm familiar with that whole concept, of course. Oh, my, my wife's phone makes noises based on what kid just got home. So she oh, knows wow. which kid it is just by sound. It's It's wild. All right, so let's, you talk about organized sports in Douglasville. Uh, what sports were you playing around 9, 10, 11? So when I first moved down to Georgia, you know, sort of getting acclimated to – it's because Charlotte and, and, and Douglasville were a lot different, I think, or maybe it was just my age. But I feel like my neighbors um, – we played baseball, played basketball. When I was – my first sport down there was – I was on a baseball team. Um, I, I played baseball all the way through middle school, um, but but got introduced to football fairly late compared to some of my friends. Like they they were playing like peewee football, you know, like five or six years old out there, and I wasn't playing football until I was probably eleven in in, in fourth grade. I think that was my first year playing football. You were you had friends playing contact football at age five? Yeah, they were playing those little um 
I guess it's called it was called Pee Wee, I believe, back in, in Douglasville, but I know it's got different names all over the country. But they have they have little leagues and it wasn't like now. Everything is sort of you get it's flag football right with the little padded helmets. Now it was it was the same. You were in helmet and shoulder pads, these kids out there with gigantic helmets on and and, and <laughs> shoulder pads at the age of six. <clears throat> it looks funny, right? Yeah, a bunch of kindergartners out there running around, jumping on each other. Yeah, but it's funny. So my uh, kid played uh, at that age, not at five. He played at probably eight or nine. And uh, there was always one kid that was more aggressive than the rest of them. And you're like, this this kid shouldn't be playing with these kids because they're they're just not aggressive like he is. That was my problem growing up. You know, all my friends that that hung out with me back then would always say that I – I had some kind of aggression about me. So I, I was the football-minded basketball player on the team that somehow always found myself in foul trouble and, you know, just, just enjoyed the, the contact of the sport, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, contact in football is obviously highly intentional. It's not always intentional basketball court. But, yeah, I mean, you can use it to your advantage for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that that was me when I was young, growing up playing playing baseball. Um, I guess obviously that's a little different, but I played baseball, basketball. I ran track for a while, and that was in elementary school. I think I started running track in when I was about same time, eleven years old. Mm. I was on a, a like a um, community track team, and and then I going into high school, I eventually gave wrestling a, a short stint. <laughs> so you played a bunch of different sports. Sounds like uh middle school, high school level. Yeah, I was, I was trying it all. You know, my, my dad was a college wrestler. He, he was a Georgia state champion um, in wrestling. I believe he won. Maybe I know one for sure. Maybe he won twice. He would be upset that I don't remember that, but uh, yeah, I got my exposure to sports for sure. So eventually football became the, the dominant sport. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say like if you're if you're fast forwarding to maybe middle school is sort of where I realized after going to some camps and things, we realized like football is something that I might have a legitimate opportunity, you know, at least going to college with. Because back then it was like, hey, I just want to go to college on a full scholarship, you know. Yeah, and you're yeah. talking about aggression. Where did that aggression come from for you? Was it just natural? Yeah, I, I think, you know, at, at a young age, just trying to play hard and be competitive in a way, I think I think that competition when you are in elementary school turns into maybe aggression by the time you're finishing middle school. So I was just very competitive. Um, I enjoyed playing games, enjoyed having fun, but I always wanted to win. And and then maybe that sort of turned into an edge in which sort of, you know, is also just a form of aggression when I got to got to to college. And then um, like I said, my dad, my dad wrestled and he was in the military. So when I was younger, I didn't have traditional punishments from him. From him, it was like, hey, I want you to lay there in a plank or or do some push-ups, you know, do up downs and he would he would do things like that to sort of toughen me up and introduce me to, to sort of, you know, things that can also help me and prepare me in sports, but 
it was a different form of punishment. So I think that's where it all came from. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting parenting style. And actually, it makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, I'm, and when you're younger like that, you don't appreciate that what he was having you do was actually good for you, right? Yeah. It, it led to mental toughness and it led to uh, you improving your, your fitness. Um, yeah, I mean, versus getting a, a whooping like I got, like that didn't make me any better. It certainly sent a message. And I knew that yeah. there was a new line that had just been established, but uh, it, it, it didn't do much for for me beyond that line. Uh, yeah, so that's a good parenting style. I like that. I, I wish I had hey, thought of that. I, my kids were younger. Hey, I certainly got the whoopings. I, I, you know, that that happened. Maybe not from my dad as much. And uh, I'm not going to put her on the spot, but I got I got the whoopings. You know what I mean? Uh, my dad just had his way of doing things. Um, and, and so we'll leave that at that. No, it's all good. Uh, but I'll just tell you real quickly. My mom was the one who gave the whoopings, and uh, and then one time I laughed at her. <laughs> that was the last time she did it. It was my dad's job to discipline me in whatever way he saw fit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, I would cool. get excited when it was my mom, man. I mean, my dad. If it was my dad that was going to, you know, discipline me, I honestly was excited. If it was my mom, I was going to be terrified. Really? That is exactly how I grew up. Yep. Yeah, I, I I did not uh, fear my mom much, but I definitely feared my dad. And he wasn't having me do push-ups. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> All right, so so football for you, were, were you bigger than most kids your age? I think there was probably a period of time where I was a little more bulky. If, if you ask some of the, the friends that I went to elementary school with, they say I had a chunky phase, you know, where I was – probably 11 or 12, fourth, fifth grade, chunky. And then when I got to middle school, started growing a little more. And I, I like, I look back at sixth grade photos of myself. Um, I, I was, I, I was more bulky. I, I was never like a skinny guy, yeah. you know, definitely couldn't categorize me as someone who was skinny or frail. I've always had like a natural build. So because you played football from 11 to into your early 20s, mm. did you ever experience the Oklahoma drill or bull in the ring? Were those things when you oh. were coming up? Oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah, that was sort of where your money was made at, at practice, and that started at a young age. I, rem I remember that. Like, my first football experience is, is Oklahoma, you know, and that, that really separated the boys from the men in that setting. That was where you, you know, displayed your toughness. Oklahoma drills, they were fun, and the people that were afraid were afraid for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, you got to go in hit, hit, trying to hit the guy as hard as you possibly can. And if you win, you're <laughs> all good. If he happens to be hitting you a little bit harder than you're hitting him, it's going to hurt a lot. But you got to go in with the mindset of, of hitting as hard as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's different variations of the Oklahoma drill, depending on who you're talking to. But I we, we did the ones where somebody was a ball carrier and somebody was a, you know, defender or tackler. And then we also would do it with, with no no ball, just, just working on form and seeing how you um, sort of engage. And if you're able to have that explosion with, uh, upon contact, you know, then in high school, you get to where you might include a down lineman on both sides and you're standing up, which is even more violent because when you're already standing up and, you know, y'all are both separated maybe 10, 10 or 12 yards, 
<laughs> the collisions are even more. Yeah, because you're effectively up to full speed after 10, 12 yards, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. major impacts. What about bull in the ring? Did y'all have that? Oh, yeah. We we had the bull in the ring. I feel like when, when I was younger, the bull in the ring was utilized more so for punishment just because, you know, the unpredictable nature of it. Like, hey, we're just picking people. Just running into you, you can catch people off guard. It was a lot more dangerous, and I, and I have seen a lot of guys get injured with bull in the ring compared to sort of Oklahoma, where you're able to anticipate and prepare and say, All right, I got this, I got this. With the bull in the ring, the way that I remember it, it was just quick and fast. But I, I don't recall ever doing bull in the ring once we got to high school. That, that was like that for me was 08 and, and before, you know, but I never did in high school. Yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a thing in high school for me either. Maybe it's just maybe a way to weed out the kids that really don't want to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely yeah, pro for injury because it's a circle, right? And there's one guy yeah. in the middle, and you're calling out Smith or Jones or whoever, and the the guy may be coming directly behind you or from your. You didn't know where they were coming from. You didn't know, and yeah, you had to keep your head on the swivel. That's where that whole notion of keep your head on the swivel, keep your feet chopping. But if somebody was fast and they were able to close before you turn around, and the next thing you know, you're laying on your back, you know. I enjoyed bull in the ring. I was always the sort of aggressor in, in bull in the ring. Yeah, you were the kind of guy I didn't want to see coming at me, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I, that's where I got, you know. I, I was I was undersized, you know. Obviously, when I started um, getting recruited for college, I was uh, playing running back a little bit, playing linebacker primarily and considered an undersized linebacker at 5'11", whatever I was. Maybe I might have been like 180 in high school on at, at my heaviest. Maybe I got up to like 189, but on all the recruiting tapes, I'm sure it said 205. <laughs> but, but I eventually got to that size and beyond. But I was undersized, you know, and, and since I was labeled that way, I made sure that I brought the thump when I got an opportunity. Which also leads to uh, leads to a lot of injuries, I think. Yeah, there's no doubt, right? Physics is a thing. The faster you yep. move, with um, and you're 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 bringing a lot of force with you, and the other folks are bringing a lot of force. That yeah, you're going to be injuries are going to happen. Uh, how old were you when you knew colleges were interested in you? Probably, I think I participated in some. So. Offense, defense, I don't know if you heard about the old – it was the OD camp, and I went to one in middle school. I think I might have been in sixth grade, and I met Michael Vick. It was in Atlanta. I think it was hosted at Agnes Scott All-Girls College. We used, like, some of the fields out there. And and there were some big-name high school recruits. And But I at the time, I was younger, you know, sixth grade, but they had different levels. And just being exposed to that and seeing that the, the kids that – had the opportunity to go um, and then competing at that high level, it was early on where I was like, okay, you know, if these are the best guys across the state or across the Southeast that came from Florida, came from Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee to this camp. And we're all, you know, 12 years old, then I did good. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure at some of those camps I receive, you know, like awards, maybe top hustler, hustle award or hardest hitting award. I know I did for sure. So I, I had a good idea going into my um, 
eighth grade year in middle school that, you know, maybe I have a chance to, to, to be decent in high school and beyond. Uh, were colleges talking to you in eighth grade? No, no, I didn't. Um, I no, I didn't formally talk to anybody in eighth grade. I think the first time I talked to a coach was ninth grade. We went and did seven on seven. Yeah, that was probably the first time I actually talked to a coach and then started getting real interest in 10th grade. So it, it was early on. It was, you know, it, and then all the other things that were happening around me sort of sort of helped with that as, as well. I think my dad had some buddies from college because I told you, you know, he was a college wrestler and there were people that he knew that were coaches. I think Joker Phillips, somehow my dad knew Joker Phillips, maybe through, you know, a, a college friend. Um, and he was the, at the time back then, like the head coach at Kentucky. So that, that, that sort of helped as well. Yeah. I have this impression and I, and I don't really know a lot about this, but these days colleges are making offers to kids that aren't even in high school yet. Right. They're, they're saying, Hey, yeah. we, we, we want you to come here. And, and I, I don't know, are they offer them full rides as, as eighth graders. Does that happen? I don't know. I don't know the, the details of like how it actually works because it sounds like it, or it seems like to me that they wouldn't be able to, you know, offer an actual scholarship at that age. But maybe it's like a stamp of approval, you know, like, hey, we want you to come. We have a lot of interest in you. We're going to continue to monitor you throughout high school. But just know that if everything goes according to plan, you can count on us. But I, but I have heard of 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 ninth graders getting legitimate offers that are that are out there, but I don't know these days. But that wasn't happening when you were coming through. No, you know you hear about those rumors, those one offs before before you had social media to sort of confirm it. You would hear about hey this guy over at you know the other school because there were the I remember when I was in middle school there was maybe two schools that we would play that had huge kids that are probably they, they you know. They peaked in height-wise when they were 12 years old. Like they were already six foot five. And so that I've heard about those guys definitely getting attention. And then you were able to play, um, participate in some of those summer flag leagues that actually had college recruits. So yeah, it's not unheard of for sure. All right, cool. So you said colleges started uh, really paying attention to you by your sophomore year. Uh, are we talking about like power five conferences? D1 across the board kind of thing, or was it a mix of D1, 2, and 3? What was that like? No, no. Fortunately, when when my initial recruitment started off, it was all what is now probably considered Power 5 schools. Um, I think it came I, – I sort of – what really got me is we did a 707 camp during the summer. And we went down to Auburn University when Tommy Tupperville was still the head coach. And it was one of those um, camps where I just really, I, I did a great job. I think I was a ninth grader. It was a summer after ninth grade. And and it, it could have been the summer after my 10th grade year, actually. I think so. But we did camps each summer. We would go out there and get exposure at universities, whether it was Georgia Tech, or you know Auburn or others, and do flag football. And if you're playing flag football, and you're you know, I, I think one one week I got like four pick six, like 
you know, caught an interception and ran it back. And to what it's worth in that flag football seven on seven environment, it was a big deal. And I actually talked to Tommy Tuberville when it all happened and, you know, shook hands with him, got to meet the linebackers coach because they just saw me over there dominating. And shortly after that, you know, fast forward to going to school, I ended up getting my first offer from his staff after they were dismantled and moved. Some of them left Auburn and went to Ole Miss. So, yeah, my first my first offer formally came from University of Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. And then did, did the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, did you get coaches from those conferences come to see you too or at least talking? Oh, to yeah. You? Oh yeah, when 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 I was at the height of the recruiting process and participating in all of the camps that were out there, they were they were coming from all over. I remember all the time, probably my late second semester of my tenth grade year, and and when I was in eleventh grade, always you know they come over to intercom. Can we get Tyler Owens to the office? And I'll go to the office, and it will be some coach, some coach that. Back then, they might have been an assistant like Kirby Smart, and and he, you know, meet with Kirby Smart in my coach's office, and he tell me that was when he was at Alabama, you know, talk about his interest and things like that. But yeah, I I was really heavily recruited from the SEC because back then the way it worked, you had a rivals page, you know, we didn't have huddle, you you it was a lot of word of mouth, and you had film that was circulated. I had to go out. My my parents got a guy that can sort of edit my my tape and put it together and make a quick highlight tape um and that got me a lot of exposure i got to i got invited to participate in the army navy um camp which is somewhat of an evaluation assessment to determine who's going to be in the army navy i mean uh army bowl it's not the army navy bowl was it, it was uh i'm forgetting what i can't believe i forgot the uh, what's the? It's like one of those high school bowls that they play in the beginning of the year. I know what you're talking about. Under, under Armour and, but yeah, the um, the it, it was the Army version of it, and I got I got exposure going down there in San Antonio. So I I really think for me, what gained all the you know attention is participating in camps. I went to if Nike was in town, if Under Armour was doing a free, and these are all free camps back then. You just show up, run a forty, do your bench press, do other drills, and then oh, play so seven you're on seven. A, you're doing a combine and seven on seven, effectively. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was basically like that, and that's where all of the exposure came from. So when a coach like Kirby Smart, I get that he was an assistant coach back then, but when these coaches show up to a high school. Are they calling you and you only back then, or was it you and a couple other kids that they wanted to talk to? In my experience, I talking to the coaches that I remember speaking to in person, I was talking to them directly, just them. And and, and it was in my coach's office, though. You know, my coach was present. But it was always, like, direct conversations, me and them and or me and the coach uh, with the head coach present trying to you know sort of moderate it and tell me how to respond because you could get back then at least for me my experience i got i got uh i was i got cocky real quick you know if you every week you got different coaches coming and checking you out of class so you can go talk to them about 
different opportunities, I started being able to rack and stack, like telling them straight to their face, hey, no, I'm not interested, although you're in the SEC, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to do some sort of filtering, but it's also – it's got to be tough as, as a 16-, 17-year-old kid. Look, look, you and I know what it's like to be teenage boys. Our brains aren't fully developed at that age. And so when you say you were cocky, you in some cases – you could clearly back it up, uh, but it may have served you well in some cases and maybe not so well in other cases. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you asked the question earlier about like when I had an idea that I might be able to compete at the collegiate level. And one thing I forgot about, I was in middle school and, and like a lot of towns, you know, counties and cities do recognition for the best athlete at you know, at your at your at the various middle schools or high school. And so for my middle school, I was voted or elected. I don't know who it was. The, the coaches maybe voted on it as the, the MVP for the football team. Um, and, and that was when I was in eighth grade. And so from there, when I got to high school, I was recognized for the county as you know, one of the top players in the county. And then I do know before I ended up getting injured, I was, you know, I was ranked in the state and and across the nation on the ESPN ranking. But it, it started in middle school and, and just going to camps because it was almost like something to comfort me. Cause outside of that, my dad was deployed largely throughout my time in middle school and high school. So I turned to football and in team sports to to stay active. Yeah, and and they probably served you really really well. I, I'm I'm guessing you would say besides the couple of injuries, well, the two major injuries you had, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, besides those, football did right by you. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I I sort of had a goal. I achieved the goal, and and the things that I wanted to get as far as going to college on a full football scholarship, those things were offered to me in abundance. So, so what, what year were you when you had your first injury? It, it happened my senior year, um, senior year of high school. I got my first major injury. Um, but like we said, growing up, just being competitive, always out there playing, not afraid to get rough. I always had little injuries, you know, like I would tweak a shoulder and then later on that turned into an actual labrum tear. But my first football related injury where I had to um, sit out with significant time was my my thumb. I, I tore a ligament in my thumb and sort of broke a small bone and I set out a couple of games and I eventually came back with the club and I played almost my entire 10th grade year with that arm to my recollection. Um, and then, yeah, coming out of junior year, starting to get, you know, a lot of offers and a lot of attention. Coaches are coming. And there was a lot of buildup to my senior season because I heard like, hey, you know, the, the head coach of Miami is going to be there. I forgot who the guy's name, what his name is. Um, but there was some pretty good matchups and there were going to be you know, recruits there. And I tore my ACL. Um, the f in the first game of the season, actually, my senior year, yeah, I was that. And when it happened, I was playing running back, not linebacker. And and by that time, I was mostly recruited to play linebacker, but happened to get hurt 
playing running back and, and we were getting beat bad. It was embarrassing, man. I think we might have been down like 36 to 6 or more. And just that sort of go-getter, tough, aggressive mentality, it, my coach threw me in there to try to get a first down on like a, a third and four or something. And when I was I got the ball, maybe it was a sweep out to the left. And and I just – I was so focused. I was always the guy – if I had open grass and then I had a guy there, like a safety, and I can go try to run the safety over, you know, I, I would try to go make sure I let I let him feel it. Um, but I, I didn't see the corner. The corner came and hit me in my left leg. Perfect, like his helmet hit me in the lateral part of my knee and I knew as soon and it flipped me, you know, like we have film of that, that game and it sort of turned me in the air, almost did a full sort of clockwise movement. And when I hit the ground, I hopped up and I ran off, but I felt like I knew in that moment, I was like, something feels strange. And they, they immediately did the little ACL test and the doctor told me, Hey, you know, I, this is what I think it is, and we're gonna wait until you get an MRI. But that—that that was my first injury, first first game of my senior year of high school after all that, you know, recruiting noise. Yeah, I mean, the, the way you described your injury, it's how a lot of those happen. The other way that you have ACL or any knee sort of ligament tears is uh, your body's just contorted in a way it's not supposed to go, and it happens to. Uh, cause a ligament tear in the knee but yeah helmet on the knee from that direction it's almost never a good ending not at all and and and, and to elaborate on what happened you know traditionally a lot of people you get an you have an acl tear and they're like hey you can return to sports in nine months i i went in for the routine acl repair and i don't i think it was i forgot what it was there was a major storm that sort of hit atlanta douglasville area back then in 2009 and it caused a lot of flooding um like six flags parking lots were all flooded and and some of the people in in you know the doctor and the team that was involved believe that um you know what was going on might have contributed to sort of the water source that they were using for the washout when they're like washing out my knee, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what, but when I, when I, cause apparently they fill the, you know, fill up your knee with, with um, fluid so that they can expand and the cameras can all of that. But long story short, I ended up getting a staph infection mm. um, and whatever the source is, I, I don't, I don't know if that whole, blood thing had anything to do with it but I ended up getting a staph infection after the surgery my incision it was like holding on by the stitches you could see an open wound with stitches over it and I went like that honestly for about three weeks where the doctors oh no you know don't worry about it it's gonna heal it's it's gonna heal and the hole just kept getting bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper and I could see you know further down into my um, my flesh and it, it was it was nasty and it would it had so much pus and everything excreting from it. So I think about four weeks after the surgery, they finally sent me into they were going to do a culture on the you know knee to see if it was infected. They did the culture on like I want to say it was a Thursday, and 
doctors called my mom the next day, like, hey, we got to get him in for an emergency surgery because he has a staph infection. <clears throat> and I don't know if you remember, but there was around the same time, maybe a couple years before that, maybe two years, the same thing had happened to Tom Brady during his first ACL surgery. He got a staph infection that was pretty bad. And so when you go in for ACL, they're like, oh, yeah, there's a there's a less than a one percent chance of infection happening. But it does happen. You know, I, I guess um, based on other stories in my life, I'm that sort of less than a one percent chance guy when it comes to environments like that because i got the staph infection i ended up being in the hospital for what felt like an eternity but maybe it was only eight days i i went through i was put under anesthesia about four times because they you know they brought me in put me under anesthesia they would do a washout and try to clear the infection out and then they would retest it and all this time, they had an infectious disease doctor that I was meeting with, you know, and I was I was getting IVs to sort of combat the infection, but it wasn't working. So then they would take me back, put me to sleep again, do another washout. And they did this for about they did this four times. And on the last one, they're like, hey, we think we were able to clear it all out. We don't know if the ACL graph is going to hold up, though, because we had to, you know, actually get in there and remove some of the, the, the tissue in your knee. And, um, you know, while I was in the hospital, man, that's when I first started because coaches were highly interested in me. And this happened like here I am almost I think at this point, my team had already played two more games or maybe another game. Um, so coaches like, hey, where are you at? You know, they're calling my cell phone, calling my parents and we're trying to figure out how we should approach it. Like how much should we divulge? Like what should we tell them? And, and, and eventually, I don't know if it was me or somebody else, they found out and it started with the old Miss that who offered me first. And it was like a ripple effect of all the teams that I had already received offers from. Um, and, and kudos to, you know, Coach Harbaugh winning the national championship the other day because he, he was the second coach that offered me a full scholarship and I was pretty much signed, still delivered. I mean, I guess I wasn't signed. I was committed to Stanford. And that is where I was going to go. Going into my senior year, I was like, hey, I'm going to Stanford. I took a visit out there junior year. But they didn't they didn't pull the scholarship at the time when I was in the hospital. But there were some teams that, you know, let me know in that moment. Like, hey, we're going to have to walk away because we know about an ACL, but we don't know about all this staff business and you spending time in the hospital and all of those additional surgeries that you're going to require. So it was a challenging time. So you, you're, the idea was if you had not been injured, you were going to commit to Stanford. And and if you stayed healthy, you were going to play for John Harbaugh at Stanford. Was he at Stanford the four years you were in college? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe his last year, I mean, my last year uh, in 2014, maybe he was, that might have been the year that he stepped down or went over to San Francisco. But I'm pretty sure because a lot of the guys that I got recruited with, they were on those teams that went to those bowl games, won the Rose Bowl or the Orange Bowl. I think he won two or three bowls while he was there. But yeah, if I would have been able to, you know, stay healthy and go, I would have got some bowl, bowl rings and, and things of that nature. And would you have played with guys like Andrew Luck and uh, McCaffrey? Not McCaffrey. So when I went out there on my recruiting visit, uh, I don't know if you remember Toby Gerhardt. He was he was oh, yeah. on the team. Oh, yeah. He was a so, beast. Yeah, Toby Gerhardt was probably going to be a senior when I got there. And I believe when, when I was out there, Andrew Luck was 
he was there. Um, we got the opportunity to meet him, but he was he was leaving that. So if you know that next fall that I would have showed up, he was already gonna be gone. Um, but yeah, I, you know, uh, and and so all of that sort of started disappearing, and that's when I got my first taste of adversity in high school, and things got shaken up a little bit because I had those first three years. Oh, you're a great athlete. You're a great athlete. You're gonna be able to go to college. The offers start rolling in and, and then going into my senior year, presumably, you know, there was more coaches and teams that were interested. They had expressed interest and they knew I was committed to Stanford, but that didn't mean anything. You know, a commitment was just a commitment. And and there were other teams that I had plans on meeting with and talking with that had told me that they were going to also offer me, depending on some of my play that senior year, because, you know, I got all those other offers just off of. Uh, playing as a freshman, sophomore, and a junior. And that's not, you know, if I would have had a stellar senior year, who knows where I would have ended up. But, yeah. So so by the time your senior football season ended, you you obviously had to come back and play that because ACL, oh, you can't yeah. come back from that same season. Uh, even if you are Adrian Peterson or somebody like that, <laughs> I think came back. He was the first one to come back in less than nine months. Uh, yeah. So by the time – season was over were all the uh all the coaches kind of moved on from you or did you still have some that that stayed in touch and said let's see how this plays out um probably by the end of the season i would say because my team wasn't very good we were like one of those i think that season they might have won three games um so the, the team wasn't very good and the coaches the interest had sort of dissipated and most of my offers were like, you know, they they sent letters in the mail, official saying, hey, your scholarship offer has been rescinded. Um, because uh, when I got those initial ones, they send letters in the mail that say, this is contingent upon, you know, graduating high school and having decent to great uh, test scores. Right before signing day, actually, is where some of the other schools, once they had racked and stacked their other players and they saw, all right, we got two or three additional scholarships. That's where some of the smaller schools started coming back into the fold. I did get offers from Division One AA programs and Division Two, like in January of my senior year of high school. So how did you end up at VMI? Hey, Got to give credit to my, my, my coach, Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell walked into my high school probably January of 2010. Um, you know, he, he and I, I think he was directed to me from a guy that I played middle school football with. But the guy and I, we went to separate, you know, we were rivals in high school, but we were buddies in middle school. And he went over to his high school first and sort of talked to him. He's like, the coach, I guess the coach asked him and their coaches, like, hey, are there any other guys in this county, in this area before I leave Douglasville that I should go check out? And they sent him over over to me. And he said it was like on a whim, you know, because he didn't know. If they, they were telling him that I was a great player, he didn't really know my situation. And when he showed up, talked to my coach, was like, hey, Tyler's down and out. He, he was this guy that was highly recruited sort of had a lot of potential, but it didn't pan out because of this devastating injury. Not only was it an ACL, but he gave him all the background and how I was still recovering because I didn't I didn't tell you this yet, but I, I ended up getting put on a they put this thing called a pick line in my bicep and I was administered um 
sort of IV antibiotics for six months, I think. I had an at-home care nurse that would come plug me up until my mom and I learned how to sort of operate the eye. But man, it was it was a rough time and I had to go through that and continually go go get tested at the um, infectious disease with my infectious disease doctor um, to see if the staff had been completely, you know, suppressed. And when he came in, he knew all of this stuff and, and he, he still offered me a full scholarship. And that's sort of where my background, having two grandfathers and a great grandfather that served and then having my dad that served in the military and had some knowledge of VMI and some people he served with that went to VMI. That's where it all met because I had never heard of VMI. When he walked in there and I saw that logo, I'm like, what is this? Never heard of it. But yeah talk to my father he's like hey you should give this give this a look because he knew before that i had offers from the sec but we had taken that offer and even at a young age i knew like hey i'm thinking about the future i want to go to stanford and get an education and with the cards that i currently had he's like you rack and stack like georgia southern alabama state Furman, whatever it is and you got bmi and so you know, I, and I took a visit to VMI when they were out of the rat line, and I was sort of, I was, <laughs> that's the catch. They were already out of the rat line. And I I was, uh, I was sold, man. I was like, you know what, this is, it's going to be a good education. It'll be a good challenging experience. So let me go ahead and lean into a challenge because I knew I had already been through a lot of adversity with the injury, and I didn't want to run away from any more sort of ad- adversity or any challenges I wanted to run towards them. And that's why ultimately I decided to go to VMI. All right. This is where your football world collides with now the military. And, and you come from a, a long heritage of service with your great grandfather, two of your grandfather, both your grandfathers and your, your dad, were they all army guys? No, um, my dad and his grandfather were army guys. His grandfather served in uh, World War II. And then uh, I got an uncle that was a Marine. And then my grandfather on my mother's side, he was in the Air Force, retired as a, um, E-9. Okay. So so lots of uh, service across your family going back, sounds like, at least three generations. Definitely. Yeah. So did you say, hey, uh, I, I want to serve too, or is it just the VMI football thing worked out and it just happened to be a military school? Absolutely not. You know, I know, I know our timeline is sort of all over the place right now, but if you go back to my days in middle school, you know, I think when I started middle school, maybe what? Oh, three. So my dad was a reservist and that's why we moved from Charlotte to Georgia he got a new job working at uh, the University of West Georgia when he was, you know, still balancing a civilian career and being a reservist. And then 9-11 happened. He gets activated. And so from 2001 going forward, my dad was active duty. Mm. And I think the first year he deployed was 2003. And from 2003 to about 2012, he was either deployed or on assignment somewhere else or gone. He he ended up staying up in D.C. for a long time working at the Pentagon. And so, you know, and, and then my parents went through a divorce while I was in middle school. So him, them going through that, him being constantly deployed and me not being able to have him at my games, you know, I think he only went to about 
three of my high school, three or four of my high school games between um, my sophomore and senior, obviously senior, I got hurt, but sophomore, junior year, he was deployed. So no, no way I wanted to go into the military because I just was like, is this what it is? You know, if I go into service, if I have a family, I won't be able to ever see them. I'm always going to be away. And I wasn't interested at all. So that didn't dissuade you from going to VMI though? Because VMI is clearly a military school. I mean, the, yep, the it, is military. it was clearly a, a, a military school. You're right about that. But I think what got me is so that same coach, Coach Campbell, it was his first year coaching at VMI and he played for the Panthers. Yeah, he played for the Panthers for, you know, almost a decade, I believe, maybe maybe longer than that. But it was his first year. He was telling me about the experiences that he had heard about. And, you know, he's like, yeah, we're both going to go into this thing. And he, But one thing that they let me know is that you do not have to serve. Like military service is not a requirement. It's not mandatory. And that was the thing that kept I, – I remember asking that question on my official visit. Like, hey, you all, you don't have to commission if you don't want to, right? And they're like, no, it's a service optional school. Uh, all right, so you, you go through VMI. You got injured, I think, before you played your first game, right? Um, so if my senior year got injured in high school and that injury because of the staph infection and everything, it lingered longer than nine months. Mm -hmm. And going into my – going into the summer – before starting my rat year at VMI, because I was already injured and we knew I was going to have to sit out in red shirt, I had a lingering shoulder issue that had happened all while I was in high school. I had shoulder problems. Found out that it was a labrum tear. Um, I skipped over that detail. So the summer after I graduated high school, I had shoulder surgery. So going into VMI, I had just had shoulder surgery, just gone through the ACL repair. Um, so I knew I was going to sit out that first year and, and I set out, I participated, you know, going with the rat line, um, when, with all the events that I could considering my injuries initially, but yeah. And so you, going you, in, you, you read your, your freshman year and then did you play the next year? <laughs> so, you know, that that's the thing about life. Looking back, I can laugh at it now, but it just felt like horror in, in that time because I was like, I came here to play football. And um, so after my rat year at VMI, going into spring ball, second semester as a freshman at VMI, I was, I was the starting, like, you know, Sam linebacker because we had some studs that my, my freshman year, some, some big guys – um, that I wouldn't have seen the field much anyway. So it was probably a blessing that I redshirted. But my 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 coming in, preparing for that next year, second semester of my freshman year, you know, you got spring ball, you get 15 practices for, for spring ball. That's what the NCAA allows, allows teams. So in the 15th practice, uh, I ran into one of our strongest guys on the team. He was a fullback. You know, I was coming in on a blitz. And we just met shoulder to shoulder. And as I'm right at the point of attack in the engagement, I was wearing an ACL brace at the time and I felt a pop. And since I had already been through this, I had already, you know, torn it before. I knew immediately there was no doubt. I was, I, I, I was, I laid on my back, grabbed my knee and probably, you know, yelled and screamed a couple of things. 
and I just knew. And certainly that next week we did an MRI and, and it confirmed what our doubts were. So, it, you know, they thought I was going to go into the season starting because of the performance at spring ball, but here I am, tore my ACL. And so I set out my first two years at VMI. The same knee was the second same, same knee, yep. Wow. So you're sitting out yeah. an entire, like more than another year before you get to the fall of your junior year, right? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, my since I was a scholarship athlete, I was on full scholarship. The coach wanted to sort of keep me invested and keep me motivated. So instead of treating that um, sophomore year like we did my freshman year and not traveling, he gave me a job filming the, the games. I would, I would record practices, get all the footage that people use to sort of evaluate players. And then I would film the games. So all the footage that people watch from practice and the games um, in 2011, that was all me. I, I, I was filming. I, I went on the road. So I got to travel to every away game. Um, you know, got the film for every home game. And even though I wasn't in the locker room as much because I would go up to film, I was around the team, you know. So that sort of kept me motivated, kept me in it, and it just made me hungry because I, I would watch film and I would see what's going on. And I'm like, hey, I want to get in there, you know. Did you end up playing uh, a fifth year or just the, the two standard junior and senior years academically? Nope. I, uh, I I didn't play a fifth year because when I came back that junior year, I think I had a pretty good junior year, you know, all things considered going in super scared, man. They don't talk about how you feel when you tear your ACL and I did it twice and then I had the shoulder in injury. So when I actually got my shot junior year, I was so hesitant. I wasn't that, you know, quick twitch 17 year old that that Houston nut offered a full scholarship to. I just didn't have that step. And I was always, it was always in the front of my mind, not in the back of my mind. That was the first thing on my mind on every, you know, snap was, is my knee going to hold up? Is my knee going to be all right? And so um, I had that in my mind all the time. And, and fast forward to sort of my senior year, I made a decision after being connected with, the secretary of defense and some other top generals, I made a decision. I was like, you know what? I am going to go serve. I want to join army ROTC. I was in, I wasn't in army ROTC in the three years prior, but my senior year, I, I started my fall semester in army ROTC deciding that I was going to commission. And because I didn't want to risk messing up my commission, I already knew, like, hey, at the end of this season, if I make it out unscathed, no more injuries, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come back because I want to be healthy for the army. So you, you didn't. Let me get this straight. You didn't play your senior year. I played my senior year, my my, well, my first class year. Last year of I didn't come back. Yeah, so I only played two years of college football on the full scholarship. Uh, went to VMI four years and. I only played for two. All right. So wait a minute. You said you connected to the sec def. That's not something uh, most people can say. By most people, I mean 99.9% .9 of humanity. How did you connect? <laughs> I had a, um, a mutual friend, we would say, who's one of my mentors. Uh, really, really great guy. He, he's, he's somebody that I confide in, but definitely a mentor that I met through a girl I was dating at the time. Was, oh yeah, you, know, you 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to so say it was, it was, or do you not want to say it? Was, oh, I'll, I'll leave him anonymous because that's how he prefers it. You know, they got Washington Post articles out there that he recently told me about. And in, in, in the article, they're talking about him, the guy that re, he, you know, he just prefers to be unnamed. And he has a lot of people that know him. Uh, but he's an awesome guy. He's a mentor. And I think my junior year, while I was dating his daughter, Chuck Hagel at the time, who was the secretary of defense, him and Chuck Hagel, really great friends. He's like, Hey, Chuck invited me to the army Navy game. And he said, you know, he's he got two tickets. So it's, it's me. And then I get to choose a guest. And he's like, Hey, I want to take you. I want you to be my guest. And, you know, at the time I'm like, okay, he said, Chuck Hagel, secretary of defense. So, I was, you know, do my little Google back then in junior year, like figure everything out. Let me prepare myself. And I was not expecting it to be what it was. You know, we showed up to the game and we are right there in his entourage. Like we are outside of the stadium when him and all the black trucks pull up and get out. And it's just me and my mentor was shaking the sec def's hand. I met his wife. I met his son. And I mean, that day was a whirlwind, man. It was one of those sort of just experiences that you'll never forget. Well, so you and I spoke off recording uh, three or four weeks ago, and you told me a little more detail about that relationship. What is it about you that he selected you to go to that game? Because he's very, very, he knows a lot of people, right? He could have picked one yeah. of a couple thousand people, I imagine, but he, he chose you. Why do you think that is? Oh man, I you know I ask myself that question all the time. Like, what 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 is it? Why me? But I think he's and this is just from his words. He said that I have some you know a presence about myself, like calm, cool, collected, but yet confident, eloquent, um, very respectful. And and that that meant a lot to him back then when we first met. You know, because here he is, this larger than life figure, and. And we were able to sort of establish a connection fairly quickly. And he just had a lot of respect for me. And he knew he knew at that intersection that I was at. You know, I was a junior at VMI who finally accepted, all right, I'm not going to the NFL. I, I've had two knee surgeries. And then I, I had two shoulder surgeries by that point. Um, he knew about my father being in the Army. That my dad was currently working at that time, working at the um, Pentagon, and so you know he he knew like I, I love football, also sort of was on the fence like hey you know I might go Army, so he thought it would be in in his mind he's like hey you know before you discount that Army thing let me introduce you to some of my friends to the sec death <laughs> yeah he he introduced me to the sec death and at the time. The Secretary of Defense, his his military, his top military sort of advisor was General Abrams. I think General Abrams at the time was a lieutenant general, so he was a three star. But you know, he would eventually get promoted to four star. But when that day, man, it was just it was so crazy. We're sitting there because they want to show the sec def, you know, sitting in standard seats. So we weren't in box seats, and this was like in the last. It was in Philly in two thousand and. This was probably um, 2013, uh, maybe 2012, the first time I went, because I went two consecutive years with him. But either way, it's freezing. It's freezing cold. It's snowing in Philly. We're all sitting up there in the stands. And 
Chuck Hagel is sitting in a row in front of us. His his son is sitting next to him directly in front of me. My mentor is sitting uh, to my left directly behind um, Chuck. And to my right, you know, General Abrams is sitting there. And I mean, I know General Dempsey was there. And this is, so you got chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You got General Abrams. You got all General Ordierno. I met so many people that day. And as I'm Yes. Yep. Yeah. I got, I got photos with all of these guys, me shaking their hands. Um, and this is like, I went in there like, Hey, I'm not going in the army. You know, there's people trying to persuade me to go commission, like people like my dad and, 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 and my mentor. But until I spoke to general Abrams, you know, I was still like, Hey, I'm not going in the military. But when he talked to me and we had an opportunity to just, just speak, it wasn't like cadet speaking to, a three-star general. I was in civilian clothes. Um, we were just there sharing stories. And he was like, I think you will be an outstanding, you know, candidate to go commission. You should, you should give it a shot. Don't doubt yourself. He's like, you got it. You got what it takes. And he's like, the combat arms really needs you. The combat arms needs leaders and, and people like you. And so after that day, talking to General Abrams and, 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 Secretary Hagel and all the other people I was connected with, they stayed in touch with me, you know, wow. them and, and, and a slew of other generals that I had met in the past through my father, like General Twitty. I had really good mentors, man. I, I was very fortunate, um, but they stayed in touch. They showed me that they cared. And they were like, hey, what have you done? What did you decide? And I told them I signed up for ROTC, you know, my senior year. Ended up jumping in there late. I had no knowledge of ROTC because I spent my first three years at VMI as a as a private with no rank, no interest in military. I was just, you know, that guy that played football in high school that wanted to pursue a full football scholarship. So that's how I ended up at VMI. And then here I found myself in a predicament where I could actually make a difference and make an impact. And so that resonated with me. I know the sacrifices that my dad had made and I had time, like you were saying, that underdeveloped brain was still not fully developed, but I was getting closer. And I sort of looked at the situation differently, like that pride and sense of service. And, and so I was sold. Yeah, man, there's something powerful, powerful about uh, serving something that's bigger than you, right? Uh, that's of that's outside of you uh, where a, a lot of people aren't even going to consider signing up for that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you uh, you made that pivot. I appreciate your service. We're at an hour nine right now. Let me just say this, Tyler. I uh, I I love your story. I do not want to quickly run through uh, your time in the army, especially yeah. your Ranger School story. Uh, and yeah. I, this would be a big fat tease for that. Uh, I want to bring you back in a, in a se separate session, and we'll talk about your time uh, as you're leaving VMI, joining the military, and then we'll work our way up to, to now, uh, talk about what you're up to these days and what your plans are. But that, if you're okay with that, that'll be a second episode. Okay. Yeah, I'm cool with that, man, because I, I, I have a lot of, you know, details that sort of led me to where I'm at and, and things that I experienced that I tried to to, to speed through. But, yeah, there, there were some VMI things and football that, that it just cultivated me into where I'm at, but yeah, I'll, that'll be awesome. Look forward to it. Well, let's let's do a couple things. Uh, let's let's share one story from VMI that is meaningful to you. Um, before we do that, let me just say, were you, when you were an upperclassman, you weren't a rat. Were you a rat daddy, or were you uh, pretty tough on the on the rats? 
No, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't tough. I was tough on them in the way of like, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable. I want you to maintain your grades because I didn't do that as a rat. Uh, you know, I want you to, to pursue things in this uncomfortable environment. Get uncomfortable because this is what by that time I understood that, hey, this is how life is afterwards. So I didn't take it easy on them. I wasn't a jerk, though. Um, and and I, I know to this day my rats really appreciate it. I just had them all at, at my wedding um, this year. So, yeah, I, I wasn't too bad on them. You, you were middle of the road, which is usually the, the right answer, right? Being middle of the road. Like yeah, you yeah, yeah. Standard, but you don't want to be a jerk, and you certainly don't want to be too easy on them. Yeah, don't want to be too lenient at all. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so one, one story that's part of shaping who you are from BMI. <laughs> Man, a story from VMI. I got so many stories from my time at VMI, but I, I would say um, something that that really stuck with me is, you know, freshman year coming in as a rat, everybody's facing something new. This is adversity. But for me, it was even more so a culture shock. You know, I'm like, what am I doing? Did I make the wrong decision? Why am I here? I wanted to play football at a top level. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play football the first year, but once I was around the team and we were losing and I just saw the environment, everything was so tough. So for me, um, I had the mentality, I'm leaving in December. I'm leaving in December. My dad was deployed, so he wasn't there to be like, hey, no, you're not. You know, I wasn't able to talk to him that often. He was writing me letters at the time. So I'm like, I'm leaving in December. And I think my mom told him, and it was a guy that he was deployed with that went to VMI. And he sort of told some of his buddies that were going back for one of the big reunion weekends at BMI. And I ended up meeting this huge group of alumni that were playing, that played football. Uh, and these were guys that I could relate to. And, you know, they were obviously older from class of like 88, 98, 2002, all, all in between. But at this, at this tailgating party alumni event, um, a reunion after the football game, which I had not played in. I'm down and out. And they're like, hey, you know, how's it going? How's your rat year? I think this is like September. Maybe it's late October at this point. And I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. There's nothing anybody can do. I'm not in, you know, I don't even pay attention in class because I'm just, I didn't even understand at the time how my transcript would, you know, follow me. But these guys put their hands around me and were like, hey, we're not letting it, we're not letting it happen, man. We're not gonna let you leave. We're not gonna let you quit on yourself. You got a lot of potential and you don't notice, but you know, your your parents sort of reached out to us. Your dad is abroad and you know, he wants us to be able to help and step in since he can't be physically present. Um, so man, it was just something that moved me, you know, and then that's when I was truly first introduced to that camaraderie of VMI and that brother, brotherhood that everybody talks about. And and they actually, they looked out, they, they looked after me, they checked in often. And, and it was some, I had like 10 guys that I felt accountable to, in addition to my teammates and my father, like, I, I don't want to let them down. They did it. They did it. And they, they seem like regular people to me. They're not jerks. They're not military assholes like I feel like if they could do it they say I can do it so I'm not gonna quit that was I think really like the first defining moment for me at VMI you you became a VMI man that day it sounds like <laughs> halfway you still got to finish the rat line that's what they say <laughs> <laughs> 
before we leave, uh, I don't know if the term's used anymore. Certainly back when I was in school, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, the, the term for your big brother. Uh, and and you, you, you were co-ed when you went there, right? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I, I was co-ed. The women, the women started going to VMI in 1997. Man, it's been that long. Yeah, I forgot it's been that long. So I, when I was there, it was it was all male. I, I didn't get. I'm sorry, I didn't get a VMI. I had a bunch of buddies that went to VMI, and uh, the the term for the the big brother, or, or I guess in today's terms, or when you were there, big sister was started with a D. Same. Yeah, it's still it's still it hasn't changed. At least at least. Not to my knowledge. When I was there, it was definitely the same. Uh, and who who did you have multiples or just one? My my, I had a bunch of guys that I latched onto. It, it, you know, let them tell it. I would go room to room and just trying to soak up all the the peer the peer mentorship that I could get. But I had a guy that I loved to death. His name is AJ Gross. He's a he's a uh, he's an emergency sort of ED emergency department doctor now, but he was a stellar, a stellar linebacker for us, sort of all conference, all American guy that had amazing grades and great intellect, but would also knock you out on the football field if he got the opportunity. And that was the guy that led me through, you know, at VMI with his sort of defiant mentality. I adopted that as a rat and it made my time as a rat even tougher because he, he was like a no nonsense. didn't take shit type of guy. Yeah. Um, and I, I adopted that and you shouldn't adopt that as a rat. Last thing you should be as a rat. Yeah. 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 So it, it made things a little bit more difficult, but that that's the guy who was my, I would call, you know, for public consumption, my big brother at VMI. Okay, nice. He sounds like a, uh, an amazing guy. Oh yeah, he he he's got a he's got a heck of a story. Wow, that's really cool. All right, well, Tyler, I appreciate you doing this. We're going to consider this part one, and we're definitely going to do a part two. We can start with a couple more VMI stories the next time we get together, and certainly want to cover your time in the army and and what you're doing these days. Okay, sure thing. I appreciate it. Thank you. this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.